you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Around the NFL podcast spends a lot of time on corners. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis coming to you from a room filled with heroes. Chris Wessling to my left, Greg Rosenthal to my right. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. What a day. What a day. No Mark Sessler. Because as we told you last week, he was in Oakland covering the last Raiders game. Didn't end how the people wanted it to end up there, I imagine. Nachos were ruined and thrown on the field. The question will be, is Mark ruined? (laughs) Is he still with us? That's a good teaser. We'll see if he actually makes it to this segment at the end of the show. A little later in the show, we will check in with the great Mark Sessler, and hopefully his cell phone is activated and everything is good. If All right. he was going to encounter ruination, I think it would have happened a while ago. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right, we got a great Sunday of NFL football in our league, week 15. Uh, the playoff, what? Well, our it's like, like a lot of things, once you start using something ironically, at a certain point, no one's going to even understand that it's ironic, that you don't really like it. Maybe you like the whole I'm willing to thing. run that risk. Okay, <laughs> okay. Now, I think I, think I speak for all of us. Um, Greg, you know, you like to try to dip your toe in the uh, greater part of NFL media culture, but always kind of viewed uh, myself as a bit of an outsider, Wes. I think you feel the same way. Um, so to <laughs> say our league, you know, feels good. It's like, oh, wow, maybe uh, some progress is being made. You know, I'm, I'm, maybe they'll accept me. Maybe they'll accept <laughs> us. Doubtful. <laughs> That's aspirational. <laughs> um, all right. No, I don't care. I like to be on the outside. Up high, Wes. Yeah. Read a book called Colin Wilson, The Outsider. Now, that'll get you going about outsiders. Mm. Mm. Okay. Another book uh, recommendation from the great Chris Wessling. Uh, We're going to go through all of the Sunday games, uh, capping it with a little uh, Bills Steelers talk from Heinz Field. And uh, after that, we'll... You know, give you a full picture of what's going on as we hit the home stretch. This is when it's really great to have Greg Rosenthal, a man that his awareness when it comes to the playoff picture, the man's a human calculator. Wow. So he'll tell you where 
everything stands uh, at the end of Sunday's games. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, but we have a lot to – yes, Wes? Tabulations on tabulations for machinations. That's Greg's mind when the mm. – Yeah, when you figure – I mean, think about Greg. I mean, the flexing between the – I always know when to call timeout. I don't. Oh yeah, that's he's, not, he's I don't always, know. It doesn't matter. I'm just if, talking about it doesn't it. matter. Like if I'm sitting at home on my couch or in a newsroom, <laughs> and the other guy's on a field with eighty thousand screaming fans with like seven hundred different decisions to make, he can't do it. I can do it. Greg could sit Andy Reid on his knee and tell him how to run <laughs> the end of game situation. That's <laughs> right. So you can do that. You're great in uh, the down and distance and timeout situations, and and you're great with figuring out playoff calculations so that's that when i talk about strengths right there greg that's near the top for you you know what else what? strength uh, game analysis how about we get to that <laughs> <laughs> also your ability to navigate into like the internal workings the nfl media machine be like a respected guy like you like to live inside and outside the box you're a little bit of a bad boy but you're also right there in there one foot in one foot out if you can pull it off why not why even talk about week 15? <laughs> Let's talk about week 15, and we'll start with a, a game with big uh, playoff ramifications. The Texans and Titans with a lot on the line in the AFC South. Watson in the gun. Watson hands off to Hyde, running to the left. Carlos has the five. Carlos to the pylon. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. Ten-yard TD run. El Guapo for the lead. Ooh, Mark Vandermeer. El Guapo? That's yeah. Carlos Hyde? Handsome? I guess he is. Texans Radio Network. Carlos Hyde ran for 104 yards, scored a TD with less than 11 minutes to play. Texans scored 10 straight points in the fourth quarter. Hold on to beat the Titans 24-21 in Nashville. A huge win for the Texans who put themselves in the driver's seat in the AFC, North, AFC South with two games to play. And that includes, of course, a game against the Titans. Now, Wes, this is why Houston is so tough to figure out. On a good day, they could beat anybody. Today was a good day. They are tough to figure out, and I'm not sure anyone's going to have them figure it out after this game. What we do know is that DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson are absolute stars, and they took control of the game in the fourth quarter. A game which I think the Titans' offense generally looked more impressive than the Texans' offense. Mm. A game when the Titans had about 65 more total yards than the Texans. But a game, and I, I put stars next to this play when it happened because it's a 14-point swing in the game. Anthony Ferkser loses the ball at the goal line. It's rolled an interception. It was closer to a fumble. Whitney Merciless brings it all the way back down to the red zone, and they score on a Kenny Stills touchdown. So that was a 14-point swing in the game, and the, the Titans did recover to tie it up and then could not stop DeAndre Hopkins because the Titans have two really big weak spots right now. Their cornerbacks, which are not healthy, Adore Jackson and, and Malcolm Butler, are out and have been out for a couple weeks. And their kicking game, which really surfaced early when Ryan Suckup, Ryan Suckup missed a, 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 had a blocked field goal. And then before halftime, Vrabel opted against a long field goal and tried for a fake punt instead that was batted down. And that really came back to haunt them. They lost for they lost by three points. The margin of that field goal. Mm-hmm. That this was such a big loss for the Titans because the Texans all they have to do is win a game next week on uh, NFL Network on the Saturday triple header. That, oh yeah, that clinches the AFC South. That would that would clinch See the what playoff spot. For yes. the Texans. Put, put his foot back, back in. in. Right. I'm back going in back in. Hey, He's look. Like, hey, Peter Schrager, you want to grab drinks? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I do. Remember, 
I remember Peter Schrager as a young guy coming up wanting to, wanting to get drinks while I was at Rotorua back in New York. Get a couple Schrager He's bombs. at littlefoxsports.com. One foot out. Uh, no, they they could just clinch a playoff spot, not necessarily the division next Saturday. Uh, they would need a Titans loss you know, to, to clinch the division uh, in Week 16. But the fact is, the Titans can get in. Uh, if The Titans aren't going to get in, even if they win these last two games, necessarily. And the fact that Tennessee had that spot, and sometimes the division comes down to this. like You don't like to think of it, but that play where they're on the goal line and Ryan Tannehill throws a good pass that ends up getting you know dropped and, and brought back, that sometimes is, can swing an entire division. And entire that's how it goes. It can swing an entire season. Right. One play. And I think Vrabel... He knew that after the game, he was he was bitter. He was really cheesed off, heading to heading to the tunnel, and it was almost like he could he you could read his mind. We're never getting that one back, and we need it. Derrick Henry, um, he had been on an incredible roll, statistically not bad at all. Twenty one for eighty six. Did the hamstring injury or the quad injury, the leg injury he's dealing with, uh, did that seem to hold him back at all? I didn't think so. It just seemed more like game flow. And the Texans did a pretty good job of not allowing those big carries. Now, there was an impressive goal line stand by the Texans that the Titans ultimately scored on, but they stuffed Henry twice uh, within the final two yards before the goal line, and then they stuffed uh, the fullback blasting game on a really nice play by Zach Cunningham, and then Tannehill bootlegged. But that's why Henry didn't get in the end zone. And, and I think I would credit the Texans' defense for not allowing the big plays that you've been seeing from him where he's just going for 70 yards. The uh, the, the Texans are just a different team when Fuller's on the field. I know he didn't you know, blow up. He's 5 for 61, but the whole offense just makes a little more sense. Before we leave this game, I do think we have to mention A.J. Brown is just – a superstar. And I, I wish I had made this point before he went eight for 114 and one, and that's 300 yard games for him in the last month. He is just like, he's the receiver I want from the 2019 class, no matter what. I want Terry McLaurin by far, and then A.J. Brown number two. A.J. Brown is just such a physical beast that he's just, he's a, he, I don't know if he's a future number one. He's a number one right now. Like, he can dominate games right now, and it makes them more dynamic, and it does make me think at least they have a chance. I know they got to play the Saints and then go to Houston, but I do think they have a chance to win both those games, which is what they'll need. He's awesome after the catch. He's also being helped out quite a bit by the Titans, essentially being the best play-action team in football over the last, what, five, six weeks. They're custom-made for play-action with Derrick Henry playing well, and Tannehill... Let's face it, having a big arm. Mm. Wes, you could start a team right now with any wide receiver in the league. Is it 27-year-old DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, pro- I don't know. Him or Michael Thomas? All right. One of those two. I think Hopkins is probably the better player in a vacuum. All right. He was a great player on Sunday. Thomas is younger, though, so you got to factor that in. Let's move to a game with some big playoff ramifications in the NFC. Prescott in the gun, fake. Now he's going to be rushed by Fowler. Steps back from that, throws deep down the field. Wide open at the 35. It's Tavon Austin. He's going to dance in. That's the easiest 59-yard touchdown Prescott's ever thrown or Austin's ever caught. And he's doing a little hoedown dance in the end zone. 59 yards, Prescott to Austin for the touchdown. Brad Sham, the Sham God. Haven't heard from him in a while. KRLD. Yep, the good Cowboys are back. Didn't think you'd see him again, did you? Dak Prescott threw two touchdown passes. Zeke Elliott went over 100 yards with a couple scores. 
Cowboys just pound on the Rams. 44-21 was the final at Gerald World. Greg, the Cowboys seemed more likely to roll over and die after the last few weeks of disappointment. <laughs> Instead, they looked galvanized, crippling the defending NFC champs' playoff hopes in the process. Yeah, this is one of the most surprising results for me of the season. It shouldn't be. I should think that the what you've seen over the course of an entire season should weigh more than what you've seen the last couple weeks, but I just didn't think the Cowboys had it in them, especially their defense, but it was like old-timers night. It was like everyone had a great time. Here's Jason Witten catching a long, great touchdown with his you know one hand. It's Sean Lee getting sacks and a game turning interception. It was just like everyone's happy, especially... Jerry Jones' fever dream. Right. This is what he's always wanted. His old guys that he's been too loyal to just continuing to do damage. What a schizophrenic team. They, This team, they have a plus 90-point differential for the season. Almost all of their losses have been close, and almost all of their wins have been blowouts. Right, until last uh, Thursday night when, to me, they just got ro- you know steamrolled by the Bears. And really the last two weeks against the Bills, in both those games they, they had some opportunities. But last week was so dispiriting. I took that uh, too seriously, clearly. But the way that they won, not so much... Uh, on offense where it was all the running game. I mean, Dak had, what, 160 yards other than that one uh, broken play. The defense, Demarcus Lawrence and Sean Lee and Kerry Hyder had a big game and the secondary, they just dominated Los Angeles up front. Todd Gurley's first six runs went for one yard. He ends up with 20 yards on the game. Jared Goff Oof. gets hurt hitting his uh, thumb on a helmet. But at that point, the game was basically over. And it affected Goff the rest of the way for sure. But that I think it was 28-3 to by the time he suffered that injury. So that game was It was over a already. shot, too. Like, you see that. It happens every week, it feels like, with a quarterback hitting a face mask. But this time, it was a wallop on the helmet. I've seen Andy Dalton's season get wrecked uh, easier. Well, he wasn't shooting straight the rest of the way. And they kept him in, you know, deep into garbage time. And they got some numbers then. But it does make you wonder if he'll be playing because the Rams at eight and six are still mathematically alive. Uh, But it's basically over. They need to win out and the Vikings need to lose out. Yep. And does either seem likely? I don't know. I mean, there's only two games left, but it's probably the end of the road for the Rams and and, and a disappointing way for it to go out. Because, Wes, this was a team that we were talking about it all last week. They seemed to be peaking and figuring it out. So that's what made it so disappointing because they never felt like they were in this game. It was just the Cowboys punched them in the, in the mouth uh, to start the game. And before you knew it, uh, it was a blowout by the halftime. Well, the Rams were surging into this game. And, and I really talked about how well their defense is playing. And here they they allow 44 points. I, I think, Greg, let yourself off the hook for not getting the Cowboys analysis correct. This team is resistant to analysis all year, and especially after laying down last week, how could you predict this game? The Rams are the team that's... It's not your fault, Greg. <laughs> the Rams are the team where you think they're turning the corner. I should corner. have known. I should have yeah. been better, not Dad. Not fault. I don't, I, sorry. How can you predict either of these teams, really, with how the Rams have been playing the last few weeks and how their defense has been playing for half the season now? No, you can't. But I I think they're an example of sometimes their defense looked better against bad competition. Sure. And, um, the, you know, the encouraging thing for the Cowboys is that their offense is still capable of a game like this because it really was the line. It wasn't the passing game. It was the line opening up holes for Zeke, who had 117-2. and two. Their first... 
two of their first three touchdown drives is 15 plays for 90 yards uh, and then 14 plays for 97. So that's, I think it's a tough way to run an offense, but it's the way they always look the best, which are these short third and twos that Zeke's picking up. Tony Pollard, who got a lot of it in garbage time, but still goes 12 for 131. I mean, that they would love it if Dak Prescott doesn't have to throw that much. I would love, uh, you know, Tavon Austin came into the league, I believe, as an eighth overall pick, and it never happened for him. Great stat line today. You heard the touchdown call at the beginning of this conversation. He finishes one for 59 for one touchdown and one target. <laughs> well, you know what? He made it count, <laughs> and that was a big touchdown because that's when it felt like the game was you know, slipping away at that point uh, from the Rams. There was controversy at the beginning of the game, uh, which we should just hit real quick, that Dak Prescott, uh, the Cowboys win the toss, and the referee, Walt Coleman, I believe? Yes. Walt Anderson? Walt. It was a Walt. Coleman. Walter White? Uh, I think it was Walt Coleman. Uh, Walt Disney? Uh, he ruled uh, that, uh, that, that Dak had made a selection. He had chosen to kick uh, rather than chose to defer, but then, good job by Fox, they find more audio that clearly shows that Walt uh, missed it. And uh, they conferred and common sense carried the day in New York, allowed the Cowboys to you know, get the ball to start the second half, which thank God, because initially Mike Pereira came on the air and said that this was not something that was reviewable, but apparently it was. Kudos to the NFL, and I don't know why, but I'm always pleasantly surprised when common sense carries the day. Hmm. And uh, finally on this game, Kai Forbath makes his Cowboys debut. And uh, this <laughs> That's is how headline. it started. Almost immediately... You know, uh, well, yeah, immediately, right after the coin flip drama where the Cowboys look terrible, Greg and Wes are going off on Jason Garrett in the newsroom, <laughs> which is just like the most NFL Twitter thing. It was just like, happened. would this happen on another team, this ty- this nonsense? I know, it's, all, it's, ne- it's never the player's fault. It's always Garrett. But uh, Seven and seven, that's Garrett's, you know, that's the Garrett type of record. <laughs> this is what happened next for the Cowboys. Ricky. Here is the opening kickoff, and wow. over his first week as a Dallas Cowboy, <laughs> at least on the active roster, and right out of the gate, he kicks it out of bounds. That'll move the ball to the 40. That's where the Rams will set up, and he could not have started any worse. It can only get better from here for Kai Forbath. Let's go down to Aaron Andrews. Wait, now what did he do the rest of the game? <laughs> I'll tell you what he did the rest of the game. Three for three field goals, including a 50-yard bomb. That would have been good for 80, and he hit all five extra points, so he was perfect after that inauspicious start. Oh, yeah. Kai has it figured out now. Kai's the guy. Kai. What a, what the Kai a, boys are flying What tonight. a monument to overcoming adversity. <laughs> Let us move on. Wentz under center. Wentz firing, and it is caught. Is it a touchdown? Is yes, it a touchdown? It, it is. Caught in the fourth quarter of the end zone. It is a touchdown, and they are surrounding goes deep into the end zone to Greg Ward. A great pass by Wentz and a great catch by Ward. Greg Ward, where have you been all our lives? <laughs> Merrill Reese. Wasting on the Quick. practice squad. That's where he's been. Great, great call by Reese. Eagles Radio Network. Carson Wentz led the Eagles on a 75-yard touchdown drive in the final minutes, capped by his third touchdown pass to, yes, Greg Ward Jr., the Eagles keep their NFC East title hopes alive. 37-27 win over the Redskins at FedEx Field. Greg, this turned out to be one of the best games of the day. Go figure. Six scoring plays in the fourth quarter. Nine lead changes. 
and one of the all-time bad beats as time expired. Ooh, that's right. If you were if you were on the Washington team, that would have been bad beat, painful. But you, if you weren't, you just enjoyed a classic Carson Wentz performance in the second half. It was one of those games from Wentz where it's like kind of like whatever your biases are coming into the game with Wentz, you'll see what you want because he missed a lot of throws that were there. I would say in the second and third quarters of this game, especially really the first half in the second half, he goes 18 for 21 for 141 yards and three touchdowns, including one of the best touchdown passes I've seen all season. You guys, you guys have probably seen that in the fourth quarter to take one of his leads. I mean, they had to bring him back three separate times in the second half. He had the game winner to Greg Ward, which was a fantastic play. And then he had a couple other third and fives. There was one to Ward and one to Boston Scott where Carson Wentz just did his Carson Wentz Magic, And I think this is what Eagles fans in what's been mostly uh, a lost season have wanted to see out of their starting quarterback. Just I don't care if their whole offense is just Ward, Ertz, Goddard, and Miles Sanders in terms of that's who he's going to throw to. Like he made it work and he did it on a day where his defense stunk. Maybe he's a little scattershot. Maybe there's inconsistency. Uh, But the reason why Wentz is such a fun quarterback to me is like he is one of those guys – you could feel it. He's a guy like, put up, you know, get on my back. I will take you there. I'll get it done. And he's done it back-to-back weeks. It's not a good Eagles team. It's, you know, middle-of-the-road team. Uh, but the fact that he's kept them relevant here, I think it's it's all on Wentz. And that the throw, one of the ones you're referring to, uh, the Miles Sanders dart in the back corner of the that end zone, ridiculous. throwing it through arms of uh, Redskins defenders, a, a clothesline throw. I don't know how many other guys in the league can make that pass. I was impressed by the running back combo of Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. This is not a game where you can say Wentz didn't have any help. Dallas Goddard made a great one-handed catch on a pass thrown behind him. Ertz did his normal thing. Greg Ward had four for 40 in that last drive. But most importantly, Miles Sanders had the best game of his career, 172 yards from scrimmage including 19 carries for 122. And Boston Scott kind of backed up his performance from the other night. I know that doesn't look too fancy. It was 55 yards from scrimmage, but it was a number of key third down conversions. And it was all because the Eagles defense couldn't get a stop, which was the most surprising thing of the entire game. The Eagles defense had a Golston. No QB mm, hits, wow. no sacks. Haskins had the best game of his career. And he's been a sack machine. Right. Taking over his stuff. And it was largely because he had time to throw. And uh, for the most part, he made good throws. If, if, if Sims, Steven Sims, caught you know, a slightly underthrown ball, but very catchable in the fourth quarter, the Eagles would have been down a touchdown there when, the, when they were going for the game-winning drive. So let's check in on the state of the Eagles. For the last month... You and everyone else has said everything is so hard for this offense. It's just so hard. And it even was in the first half of this game. Even in the first half, you were saying the same thing. Was the second half impressive enough to where you think of them differently going into next week? Because it's the Cowboys. Like they have something to hang their hat on now. A little bit, yeah. They they really have five guys. Got a little it, juice. It, it's Ward, Ertz, Goddard, Sanders, and Scott. And that was it. I mean, Ar- Artega, Whiteside. Uh, he's on the field, but he might as well not be there. Two, Way to hit that Artega. Two targets, no catches. This was my point last week. Ward and Boston Scott have been right. in this team's possession all year. That's fair. As they play guys who can't catch and can't make big plays, they just went to waste all year. I, I don't feel overly confident because they've done this against two pretty poor defenses, but I think they have to feel like you have something on offense. But it's what we've been talking about with them all year. Once they fix one problem, 
another one pops up. The defense hasn't been good, really. Certainly not today. And they're they're much healthier. Anybody that with great confidence makes a prediction about the Week 16 game, Cowboys at Eagles. Right. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> Don't believe anything that's coming out of their mouths. They they are overconfident. Just use that as an indicator whether they know what they're talking about because we've seen enough from both of these teams that it's unpredictable what you're going to get Sunday to Sunday. It, it is, and yet I I think it's, it's okay to say that the Cowboys should be the favorite. I don't care that they're on the road. That they, if they're They've playing the better team, be careful. Here's the thing. I'm not necessarily pick. I probably will pick them, and I and it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles win. I'm not saying that. I don't wouldn't feel confident. But their best game is just clearly better, because the Eagles have no best game. These are their best games: is winning these dog fights against dog teams. Uh, all right, let us move on. Speaking of dog teams, Dalton takes the snap, fires to the right, passes yeah. intercepted by Gilmore. Goodbye. Gone to the fifty. Left sideline forty to the thirty. Stephon Gilmore to the 10. En route to his second pick six of the season. Touchdown, Patriots. Gilly locked that one up. What what an angle by Gilmore off this. Patriots show blitz late. Gilmore closes. It's a throw to the flat. Gilly Lock jumps it for a 64-yard touchdown. What a second half start by him here. Woo. You know, it was nice. We had a nice little run there. Oh, wait a second. Turn it up. Zolak. Zolak gets the bongo drums. They All right. Call him Gilly Lock? <laughs> Stephon Gilmore is Gilly Lock? Get it, Virgo. Come on, Virgo. Get loose, baby. Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak with the call for the Patri- Patriots Radio Network. Yes. Goldilocks return one of New England's four interceptions. 64 yards to the house. Patriots clinch a playoff berth Sunday. 34-13 win over the Bengals. A game that will be remembered less for its outcome and more for the latest Patriots scandal that prefaced it. But forget about that. At 11-2, the Pats remain in position for the all-important first-round bye. And now we welcome, formally, the great Jeremy Bergman, fellow native New Yorker, tortured... but okay. Okay, same thing. Tortured Jets fan... Burgo, tell us how the Patriots did it on Sunday. Uh, well, you know, all week Wes was talking up how the Bengals, you know, this was a trap game for the Patriots. Nobody wants to play the Predicted Bengals. a three-game losing streak by the Patriots. Almost, Almost. nailed it. You know, Almost. He, it would have been one of the great predictions. He looked great for about two quarters. Well, nearly two quarters. 10-10 with about two minutes left in the, uh, in the second quarter. And a- Alex Erickson muffs a punt. And from there, the Patriots rolled the Patriots kicked a field goal to go into the half to take a lead. And then coming out of the half, uh, Dalton throws two picks on the first two drives, both to Gilmore, who was in coverage on Tyler Boyd. Mm. Mm. The second Gilmore Defensive pick. a player of the year. It's, it's a big game for him. This is a big game for him. You know, we're talking you know, about T.J. Watt or Daniil Hunter in some spaces. Stephon Gilmore has been the, the depoy for pretty much the entire season, starting with the, the boogeyman defense uh, in the start of the season. So, um, And then J.C. Jackson got two picks at the end. Dalton threw four picks. Oh. That's a season high. And, uh, you know, I think this is a, a reminder that the Patriots secondary, even against inferior opponents, uh, is possibly the be- probably the best in the league. And uh, a reminder that the Patriots can beat up on these teams, but the offense uh, looked terrible. Again, I mean, Brady had a season low in passing yards. Uh, Edelman didn't look right. Nikhil Harry had a couple catches. Sanu was, uh, was dropping. That's not right, it seems, right? No, drop, Two catches on eight targets. passes all over the place. 31 dropbacks 
for the Patriots passing 116 yards. <laughs> Woo, rough. That, uh, did, it, did it look as bad as that sounds? Uh, it did. I mean, aside from uh, the pick six, uh, the Patriots had two scores in uh, two touchdowns in the second half, and both of them came on short fields. So they're not moving the ball, and they're averaging. They averaged 4.6 yards per play. Brady got hit six times. They ran the ball a little bit, though, which they they have not been able to do, and they get Nikhil Harry involved, playing him about, I think it was 36 snaps, where he hasn't been too involved. He had a couple runs. He did get a touchdown uh, catch. They're just looking for incremental improvement with with the line I would think especially because they're going to need a running game and they're going to need a turnover margin like this it it's it's not an easy method to try to go win a Super Bowl with turnover margin but they're plus 24 on the year and a lot of that's been against the bad teams in the league but that, that that's the only way they're going to win games in the playoffs against good teams is with this secondary picking off passes uh, so by by that statement you're saying you have no hope that they're going to turn their offense around I have hope that they can be situationally a lot better. Yes, that they can that they can be good enough. That but you're going there's no way they're winning three playoff games without the defense and special teams balling out. That's their recipe. Greg, this is and this is not news to you. You've been tracking this team very closely as you track all teams, but especially with your boys, the Patriots. But Tom Brady lives in the sub Gabbard zone now. Like this is not this is happening every week. You go all the way back the last Let's see, five weeks now, starting with the Eagles win, 17-10. 4.6 yards per attempt, and the Gabbard zone is anything sub-5 yards per attempt. Uh, 5.1 yards sub per six, even. Sub-6. Uh, 5.1 against the Cowboys, 6.9 against the uh, Texans with some garbage time at the end, and then 4.7 last week against the Chiefs, and then 4.4 this week. I mean, this is, Burgo, this is nothing new. And we keep on saying, oh, well, he'll turn it on. He'll turn it That's on. That's a 134 to 13. It's worth pointing out. He, what's that? They won 34 to 13, yeah. No, no, that's fair to point out, but, you know. Once you look this- at the score, but you're playing the Bengals, who yes. are a, a, lo- a loss away from, you know, the first uh, pick in the draft. There were fans, more Patriots fans than Bengals fans at this game, but the mm. Bengals fans who were there, uh, they were saying, uh, eye of the eye, eye of the tiger, go Bengals, go as in the, the Bayou go. Right. So they're rooting for Joe Burrow. They were paying Ooh. more attention to the Heisman Trophy. That's close to a uh, lot now, right? Are yeah, their magic number close. is one because it, they're, they're up to... The, ba- uh, the Giants' uh, foreshadowing win over the Dolphins. Uh, Burgo! Two games, sorry, well, you know. No, it's all right. Two games ahead of the, uh, of the, of the Bengals. It, it is crazy. crazy. I mean, they throw the ball eight times to Sanu, 13 yards. Five times to Edelman. This is because... Becoming a bigger concern. He looked banged up, mm-hmm. uh, or I heard that he was in this game. Five targets for nine yards. Yeah. And I don't know what to take from the running game either because the Bengals, I mean, against every team except the Jets, can't stop the run. And Michelle had a great game. Burke had revenge game with a touchdown uh, late in the second half. Um, but I'm not sure how much to read into that because of the opponent. It's, it is crazy, though. This is their 10th straight 11 win season. So they did it all decade. 11 plus. No no other team in NFL history has ever gone above seven straight of those. So the way I kind of look at it is like if this is the the end of the Patriots. Like the <laughs> end, the end is like they're winning 11 like that's that's like a a worthy end to what's been the greatest dynasty in Don't American sugarcoat sports history. what's happening here. But it's true though. Like if the disintegration that, of the Patriots which just so happens against the backdrop If the, the disintegration backdrop, is like you're the seventh just best so team happens in the against the backdrop of the latest scandal that is gripping this team, Spygate <laughs> I think it fell 2. Apart today. Spy Harder uh, which featured of course 
Jay Glazer of Fox going on the pregame show and having video evidence of what went down right down to a, a Bengals staffer. And Wes is a proud former Cincinnati resident. That, that guy for the Bengals was very strong in his takedown of that Patriots uh, videographer. We have a spot for him on West Security, the jackets of which you see on the sidelines of most NFL yes. games. So the way he handled that and the way the Patriots staffer immediately just... I'll delete it, it. I'll delete it. Hey, what if I delete it? Nobody has to be the wiser. It ends right now. Like, Give me it. a break with how guilty he And then the Bengals guy, it's like a cop like pulling somebody over. He's like, uh, the, the Bengals uh, guy, what he said? He made a comment like, well... You should have thought about this before you did it. It was like one of those like dad lines that just oh, yeah. was. If we needed a naked light bulb in there, maybe just one lone <laughs> chair. It was it was a great great grilling session by Bengal security. So I guess I'm just pointing out, Greg, your quarterback yeah. looks done. And <laughs> no. you got another scandal hanging over your head. This is is eleven and three is great. No one cares about the scandal. Actually, the, I thought the video thing kind of it has. You don't helped care them. about the scandal. No, it's helped them though. The video, you as you guys said in the previous show, you didn't think there was too much of it. The video, which you can watch, I'll delete it. I'll delete it. it. Thankfully, kind of supports everything that they said that there would be I'm nothing I'm that I'm you I'm could I'm be gaining from this. What they were watching the uh, sideline the whole time. Uh, 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 <laughs> I actually feel less confident about the Patriots after seeing that video. I don't think that Belichick orchestrated it all, but certainly this should be investigated. Well, it is. It's happening. I just love that Wes is just, you know, Antonio Brown, he's the gift that keeps giving. They should sign Antonio Brown, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm coming back around. I mean, <laughs> lost him. They need, they need someone who can get open. Give me a I'm break. joking. I'm um, Burgo, can you stick around for another game? Yeah, I got nothing to do. All right, let's roll. You're actually writing up the Sunday night game, so we're going to get you down there. Snap from Matt. Looks left. Matt throws. Caught. Jones chopped down short of the end zone. Is he ruled in or out? He's ruled short. I got to review the play. Review oh it. Oh, my goodness. Ryan to Jones has given Atlanta the lead. 23-22. 10 plays, 70 yards in 146. Unbelievable. West Durham and Dave Archer with the call for the Falcons Radio Network. All right, we had to do some Frankenstein work on that highlights because it doesn't deliver the, the drama of what happened because one play after an incredible Austin Hooper TD catch was overturned on a suspect review. Julio Jones was awarded a touchdown upon review after a suspect spot by game officials. You got that right. Yep, a lot going on in the final seconds of the Falcons' 29-22 win over the Niners. Uh, those final six points came via a fumble recovery. On lateral shenanigans that only Al Michaels could love. Wink, wink. Another one of those. Burgo. Classic letdown game for the Niners. How do you make sense of this one? I mean, this is a classic trap game. You look at the schedule, and between the Saints, the Rams, and the Seahawks in the back four of their schedule, they're playing the Falcons, who... Uh, have put up 40 against the Panthers last week. They've been playing pretty well in the back half of the of the season, and so the Niners should have handled this team pretty easily. They've had a couple they had a couple injuries today. Richard Sherman, D. Ford, Weston Richburg were all out, and that certainly had an effect. But you would have thought maybe you were going to get a shootout between these two sides, given how uh, the Niners had been playing against a team like the Saints and then uh, how the Falcons have been playing on offense all year. And really, it was a defensive struggle up until the fourth quarter when they started trading scores. Uh, Garoppolo uh, uh, scored on a, a pass to Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, the, the Falcons come back and score. And then, uh, you know, the, the Niners kick a field goal and the, nine, and the Falcons get back down the field. 
uh, the Falcons get back down the field, and you have that wild sequence of events. In eight seconds, there's a pass to Austin Hooper that he's catching in between his legs. He's holding, holding on to the ball with only one hand, but it touches the ground. Well, here's my thing. Well, it, slips, it slips out of his hand. It slips out of his hand, but the, the call, and I'm just glad, because ball don't lie, that they, they got the touchdown the next play, because that's not how they deserve to lose the Falcons. Where was, we're talking about replay again here, where was the evidence that overturns that call. Where did we see an angle that showed the pigskin touching the field turf? I think you definitely saw in his left hand or whatever it was, you see him hold the ball, it touches some tor- some sort of surface, and then he his grip loosens, meaning, you know... It looked like his cleat, though, was up against. I, I don't think so. I think it, okay. hit, the, I think it hit the turf. I'm not going right. to... I didn't see direct evidence. On. I'm with Dan on that one. I'm I did not, not see turf. On. It saw him at least fumble the ball in the end zone. In it's that. not it has too to costly, be though. It's not too costly for the 49ers. I know they people get really into like, oh, they fell down to the fifth seed. You know, okay, that's fine. If they win their next two games, they should be, be okay. The, they should be the one seed, right? If, if they beat the Seahawks, not even if they beat the uh, right. Well, that Rams. Well, the Rams the game seed. could affect whether it'd be the one seed or or, or just winning the yeah. division and, and getting the two seed, but. It's not a killer. I've never seen a game where it's two uh, pass catchers going against each other quite like this. George Kittle, 17 targets, uh, 13 catches, 134 yards. No one else on the team had more than four targets. Julio Jones, 20 targets, 13 for 134. No one else on the team had more than 27 yards. So it's just Julio versus Kittle back and forth. And I love that. That sounds great. That sounds fun. a, a, A game where... They're so shorthanded at receiver in Atlanta compared to what they started the year with, and you just throw it to Julio 20 times, and he goes and wins a tough Wait, game for you. He still and, got it. I, I think there's there's this idea in fantasy circles that like Julio, because he goes long stretches without touchdowns, is over the hill. No, he's amazing. He's still an all-pro. I, you probably just said this exact these numbers, but yeah. they had exactly the same receiver yes, numbers, 134. 134. That is odd. Very odd. It was, what else, Burgo? It, point, it, it, was, it was more um, stark with the Niners, though, because – you know they had been you know succeeding on offense because they had been throwing to Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, getting that receiver game uh, in the last half of the season uh, beefed up. But here there was uh, Garoppolo was holding the ball too long. He ended up dumping the ball off to Mostert and Kittle a bunch. And it was actually the, the fact that Kittle had such a big line and no scores uh, was indicative of how kind of broken and slow the Niners' offense looked all season or uh, in this game. Uh, their first scoring drive, um, and this, you know, they had a bu- they made a bunch of big plays against the Saints, right? They had the big touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders and all that. Their first scoring drive was 21 plays for 10 minutes and 43 wow. seconds, the longest drive in football this season. And uh, you know, it, it looked like they were going to control the clock against the Falcons, and they were holding the Falcons um, scoreless for most of the game. Uh, but uh, it didn't work out at the end. I, I'm kind of amazed at their defensive line, which. I started the season thinking they could be historic, and now they're just great. You know, they're they're not historic. I'm just amazed that that's that they couldn't just dominate the game enough to just win. But that's what happens sometimes when they're you also, have an MVP type of quarterback on the other side. You you don't know. They're also depleted. They yep. they don't have the depth to, to do the rotation they were doing earlier in the year. Does anyone think Dan Quinn can possibly save his job? I do. I don't. I think a win like this is I don't. a p- potential. Game changer if they if they win out I think too and I know it seems meaningless because what's the difference between five and eleven and seven and nine whether you should keep your coach but these are the type of wins I think gets ownership's attention that the team hasn't quit that they have there's a ceiling there I I think it's more likely Greg that he does go I think he's the first one like that they've decided this 
by around the bye week, I think they already decided, hey, we're just you, here's what we're going to do because to them, seven and nine is a huge disappointment. So I think they're going to look at the whole season, even if they win the next two. And yeah, this. It didn't feel good for the uh, Niners when Matt Ryan goes uh, takes the field with about two minutes to play and three timeouts. It felt like a dangerous spot for the Niners, and sure enough, Ryan goes right down the field. You called it. I did. I'll take that. Burgo. Can I make one more yes, point? Yes, give us sure. one more. All three of San Francisco's losses have come on the very last play or Ugh. near the very last play, and last week they gave up the the game-winning or supposed-to-be game-winning drive to the Saints. So going forward, the Niners at the death – are they reliable late in the fourth quarter? He asked for one more point. He made it count. He made it oh, count. Yeah. And one. And Wait up, Jeremy Bergman, where can you find him? You can find him on Twitter at... At J.A. Bergman. Great follow. You could also see him in the 2005 Will Ferrell comedy. He got the year right, yeah. And screaming. You can find him in our newsroom, too. If you can get past security, get into our <laughs> building. He's always in, like, the first desk yep. in the right corner. If you knock on the door into the newsroom, he'll probably be the guy that, that answers the door. Begrudgingly, yeah. but yes. And... and <laughs> And tell us, Jeremy, is Will Ferrell funny off-camera as he is on? Because he's a real hoot. I'll never tell. (laughs) All right, Virgo. Thank you, buddy. And if Ely complains that you were up here too long, send him up here. We'll have a conversation with him. I'll let him know. I'd love that. It's like in Goodfellas. (laughs) Be some potential airtime. He's like, fine. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. It's like in Goodfellas when, you know, the young uh, Ray Liotta. Has some issues with the with the progress reports from the school, and then they throw the mailman in the pizza oven and say no more mail gets to their house. That's what you're going to do with Eli. As Eli comes up here, we'll have to get the pizza. <laughs> it's very Lombardian of you to bring it back to like a Goodfellas reference. That's I have fair. no issues with Eli. He's a fine man. I love Dave. All right, that's. Uh, I will not throw Dave Eli in a pizza oven. That is my <laughs> solemn promise. Cut that you. drop. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Single back offense. Aaron Jones alone setback. Rogers under center takes handoff. Jones bouncing left makes the turn. Breaks the tackle to the ten to the five. Reaching pylon. Henzo. It is a touchdown. Beat Principal Kamara to the pylon and the Packers on a twenty-one yard touchdown run by Aaron Jones extend the margin to thirteen to three. Wayne Larravee with the call for the Packers Radio Network. Aaron Jones ran for two scores. Devontae Adams had another touchdown catch. The Packers beat the Bears 21-13. That moves Green Bay to 11-3. They lock, remain locked into that number two seed. The huge matchup against the Vikings looming in Week 16. The Bears, well, their season's effectively over. Um, they are eliminated from playoff contention in the NFC and... You know, not it's not the same thing as the Rams because I didn't I kind of bought in a little bit on the Rams recent hot streak and then they they lay an egg in this game with the the Bears. I don't know if I ever really truly bought in that they were going to make this great miracle run in the end and uh but I also thought maybe they could make it a game on Sunday cuz the Packers aren't playing so hot right now, but it kind of more or less played to script where Green Bay gave you enough offense, which is kind of what they are right now, a team that's not going to be blowing the doors off anybody, but they they score the two or three touchdowns necessary, kick a couple field goals sometimes, and and they'll get the W. I don't know if that's going to work when the competition jumps up a notch, but it was enough to beat a Bears team uh, that just, you know, didn't have it this year. And that's that's all you got to say about them, really. But we'll say more. So were you in, are you impressed with this Packers offense, or were you today? Because we've been in lockstep that even though they're winning, we're just not impressed with the fact that they lack a chain-moving element to this offense. It's all sizzle, no steak, all right. style, no substance, all flesh, no sustainability. You know what they need? They need like, yeah, they need like a 2,000 
14, Randall Cobb. They need somebody beyond just uh, Aaron Jones and Devontae uh, Devontae Adams. There was a moment in this How game. How about 2011 Aaron Rodgers taking a check down every hey, once in a while? Yes. Well, I'll say this. Hey, I'll hey. say this because I'm, I'm with you that Rodgers has been his own worst enemy in some cases. But I just keep on getting reminded of, you know, this in this game in the first quarter, Rodgers hangs in the pocket, gets drilled, unfurls a gorgeous uh, deep ball that should have been a 70-yard touchdown. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has two steps on the defender. And he doesn't even drop it. It just shoots through his open hands. And it's like, what are we doing here? Uh, and he was basically removed from the game plan <laughs> after that. That's, they do that every week. They, he does something they don't like, and then they remove him. <laughs> That's right. what they did in this case. And then I looked at, I looked at the numbers uh, for the Packers on offense because it does feel one-dimensional, especially their passing game. And sure enough, you got Devontae Adams, who missed like a quarter of the season with that toe injury. He is by far their most productive receiver in terms of catches, yards, touchdowns. Then their next two most productive receivers are running backs in Aaron Jones and uh, Jamal Williams. And then you get to Jimmy Graham in 2019. Ooh. So 2019, Jimmy Graham is Who coming up. only played up. 25 snaps today. So. Yeah, before the next uh, wide receiver shows up, which is Geronimo Allison, who hasn't done much this year. Then you get to MVS, and then finally Alan Lazard, who's made some plays. He should be playing like, more. He is, though. He, he is, is their guy. The last three weeks, he's their number two receiver. They've kind of settled in on a rotation. But they're still working in Allison point, though, and MVS, and it's like... Which is like, Rodgers maybe is holding the ball too long, but it's a product of the fact that he has receivers that aren't getting open, and he's trying to make it happen, but there's nothing happening. Lazard is an undrafted guy, and and if he's going to be the guy that steps up, it shows you they just haven't done a good job helping Rodgers with weapons. Well, there's been yeah, there's been a lot of consternation, and we've we've added to it. You know what is with this team's identity? You know our our friend Aaron Nagler said maybe this team's you know identity is just winning ugly, which for this team that's the, not an identity. But the way they came into the season, they are finding ways. The fact that they have 11 wins says something. The defense has come along a little bit lately after a pretty long slump, but close out a game, Aaron Rodgers. It was on him a little bit late. He nearly fumbled it. He nearly uh, had an interception. He had some mental strange decisions in the fourth quarter, and I've noticed their offense, especially late in game struggles. Their last five drives here, where all they needed at any point was was about a five-minute drive or a field goal drive, and you win the game and you knock your rivals out for the season. One first down punt, then three and out, three and out, three and out, Three and out. That's bad, all bad, in the bad. fourth quarter. So they they were begging Mitch uh, to come back in this game, and the Bears almost did it. And Mitch couldn't do it. And I'll say this. The Bears rolled up 801 yards and 55 points in the previous two weeks. Uh, and Trubisky, after a, a nothing first quarter, finished with 348 yards on 53 passes. But you know what? His I'll remember this game for a fourth quarter interception that he fired right into the arms of Dean Lowry. And it's the type of failure that you'll remember this season by just Trubisky taking the, they got the ball after a punt, after another three and out by the Packers at their own 40 down eight with a chance to save their season. And um, Trubisky just wasn't up for it. And I, I just wonder, this will be interesting. He has two games left here. Uh, what what the Bears do, and we'll have time to talk about that. Uh, but this this was a chance in a big spot on the road to make something happen. And again, the Bears and their offense just they weren't up for it. They made it as painful as possible for Bears fans. I mean, I know they get. Yes, you want to be in a meaningful game in mid December. At least they gave them that. But having it basically end on the Packers after getting their hopes up a little—that's as tough as it gets. And by the way, you know, Khalil Mack and that defense. 
they they hit Rodgers four times and had one sack. So, you know, they they needed everybody to step up in this game and keep the season alive, and you know what? Nobody did, and as a result, bye-bye. See in July, baby. Let's move on. And Phillip Rivers with the bolt on his helmet. Back to pass. He dropped the ball. He's about to be picked up by a Viking. Bouncing around. Hifonio Denebo has it. He's to the 50, to the 40. Hifonio Denebo is loose. Touchdown. A 56-yard defensive touchdown by Hifonio Denebo. Paul Allen. Vikings Radio Network, Afani Odenabo scooped up a loose ball, galloped to glory, a game-changing play, and a game that quickly turned into a vicious blowout. 39-10 in favor of the Vikings over the host Chargers. West, this game was 10-9 in the second quarter. Your lock was looking pretty good. Uh, but then the Chargers, you know, they had seven turnovers. And, you know, bad things happen when you turn it over seven times in a football game. Listen to this string of possessions which I assure you have not heard anything so offensive today (laughs) interception fumble return for touchdown end of half fumble punt turnover on downs fumble interception interception end game that was their last nine possessions of the game did Phil play the whole game Phil played the whole game and here's what's going on with Phil his arm is shot Phil his arm is shot and you know how we talk about see it throw a quarter Quarterbacks who have to see the receiver come open before they actually release the ball. Rivers has always been the opposite of that. He is the most timing-based quarterback in the NFL. He throws to spots, and he wants the receiver to be there. That has turned this year into throwing the ball up and praying that when the ball finally descends out of the air, the receiver just happens to be there. And sometimes the defensive back is there instead. And that's what happened today. Melvin Gordon fumbled twice, watched the final 25 minutes from the bench. Costly fumbles. This was a bad job locking by me and an even worse (laughs) job by the Chargers. It showed boldness, but it was always a dangerous lock because the Vikings have shown all year, you know, they're a better team. But the Chargers had some juice going into the game. I mean, Phil... Does it make any sense for Phil, just like calling him Phil, uh, to join Eli walking into the sunset this year? Or do you think this is a guy that's going to try to, you know, make right after what's been a pretty much a down season for him? I wonder where this ends. Up. I don't think he's opened up SoFi Stadium with the Chargers, but I think he might try to play somewhere else. Does Anthony Lynn open up SoFi with the Chargers? I think so. I think he has a better chance than Phil. I wouldn't rule out. I think Rivers could get Phil. a job somewhere. I do. I think he's shown enough this year, although so it's, one, it's getting tough. And uh, One thing the last couple of years have taught us, especially with offensive line play falling so far behind the athleticism of pass rushers, your old quarterback has to either have a great offensive line or be so good at getting the ball, rid of the ball quickly that it's not a factor. Because these old quarterbacks just... You put him with a good line, I, th- I think he'd be a pretty solid starting quarterback, but they don't have that, and that's you don't want to go into a season with that if, I guess, if you're the Chargers. For the Vikings, though, this is an impressive win. You know, I know it's all on turnovers, but they've needed it. I don't think they've played quite their best lately. The, the big concern for them is they lose Dalvin Cook to a shoulder injury. Saw that coming. And that, you know, it's been happening where he doesn't make it through the game. 
and now you have a much bigger game next week. And Madison wasn't playing his backup, Alexander Madison, with an ankle injury. Mike Boone saw a lot of playing time. Um, Kirk Cousins did hit six out of six on the opening drive on the road, so that's worth noting. And Daniil Hunter, I'm not sure we can say defensive player of the year in a, in a year with T.J. Watt playing so well, with Chandler Jones, the Bosa brothers. I'm not sure he's better than all those guys, but he's making a strong case. He mm. had two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, a sack. He was all over. This is all when the game was still close. So they play the Packers next week, right? They do. They, they do. host the Packers, and they are bankable in that dome. And they take, you know, they get into first place. This is their chance to have their first win the season against a winning team, and they will do it, though, Wes, and this will be fun to track especially for you and I. You mentioned that's a banged-up backfield. Who knows what they have? It is. You're going to put a lot. It's going to be a lot on Kirk to move the ball in a big spot again for the NFC North on the line. I can't wait to ignore the other 52 players on his team after the game when we analyze. And it's on Monday Night Football on the 23rd. Oh, oh Chris. And we're ta- we're taping that oh, night it uh, a specially matter. timed podcast. Oh, here. Chrissy. Guaranteed that it does not matter one bit what anyone else on that roster does except for Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I don't want to hear about, ooh, I got to write Merry my power Christmas. rankings. La-di-da, Dan. We should all be watching this game together. Oh, we're doing it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> live 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 podcast? Well, live cousins uh and you know. Come now. to the garage, guys. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Spencer Ware sprints in action to the right side in the right flat. Mahomes holding it under pressure, pump faking, moving to his right, trying to keep the play alive. Keeps it alive and fires in the the end zone for two points. Sammy Watkins and the Chiefs do snow angels in the end zone with a two-point play. It looked like figure skating at Rockefeller Center as he was going back and forth and back and forth and then finally spinning and finding in the back of the end zone. Sammy Watkins for two and the Chiefs lead 20. Mitch Holtis of the Chiefs Radio Network. Patrick Mahomes threw for 340. Two scores. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They were making plays. And Kansas City rolls to a 23-3 win over the Broncos. The win keeps Kansas City a step behind New England for the second playoff by Greg. Uh, maybe we're still waiting for the Chiefs to achieve full uh, liftoff on offense, but today that's more encouraging progress for their defense. Three points against the Denver team that was kind of looking on the up and up. Yeah, continuation of what they've shown us on defense which, with a really good pass defense and a good pass rush with Chris Jones uh, and Frank Clark playing well today, but the story was the offense. I don't care that it says 23 points. This did look like the Tell Chiefs us. offense that I've been waiting to see for a month. I thought it was one of, if not the best Patrick Mahomes game of the year. It could have easily been a 40-burger. You know, the weather was tricky, so they settled for some field goals. Mahomes is one, you know, bad decision of the day. He did get picked off late, uh, kind of in garbage time, or they could have had more. But, man, in such bad weather, I was amazed how he showed everything. I mean, touch on some throws. He had some heaters. He had great accuracy. He moved well somehow in the snow. I sort of didn't understand it because it looked like the snow was killing well, the Broncos. I, and his his throws were just fantastic all day. I feel like it's been said before. I remember, a, I believe, a 50 to nothing Patriots win. Right, snow 60 to something. So, yeah, that, and I remember, I believe it was Tom Brady who said that snow is not really a huge detriment to an 
offense. It's more like rain and muddy fields that could cause drama. But some but teams like, aren't affected by it. It was like driving snow. And yes, the footing, you can get receivers more open. But it was more just the quality of his actual passes. Uh, and Travis Kelsey helped him out by making some great catches and Tyreek Hill. And it's just I think this was... If you are a Chiefs fan, this is exactly what you wanted to see. It, it, everything kind of so forget about, about this twenty-three team. points. This yeah. is the KC offense is on track right now. They don't have a much of a running game. That's been there all year, and that was no better today. So that's kind of their one weakness. But the passing game to me uh, looked in full flight. Well, I think we both said around their bye time a month ago, we expect them to not lose another game until that Ravens game in the AFC title showdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, these are by far the two best teams in the AFC, the Chiefs and the Ravens. Right, and I do think their ceiling is right there with the Ra- Ravens. The problem, of course, now is they're either going to have to win the Chiefs, that is, two road games, or at least one road game, you would think, to get to the Super Bowl. But like I said, with the defense playing well, and Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill had another great game. I mean, Honey Badger was all over the place. It was a very telling sequence where he picked off a pass that was uh, overturned by a very questionable penalty. And the next play, Thornhill picked off a, a pass of Drew Locke. And I think Matthew had a sack and a couple more passes defense. Uh, they look good. They look like the Chiefs that our producer Ryan Bartlett's hoping to see. In the mm, maybe it's PTSD. Um, I don't know. But one of those teams that you just mentioned, the Ravens or Chiefs, there's a good chance one of them's got to go to Gillette Stadium and win in Foxborough to get to that AFC title game. The Chiefs, yes. Um, so that's still got to happen, and that will be a big test when it happens. But, yes, what we've seen to this point from these three teams, it does seem like New England's the clear-cut number three in the conference, even if they end up with I agree, five. and the Chiefs have to feel good. I know it was early, but they beat the other two. And so at least I, I think that they should feel good about that, and they should feel good that they they run this division like – no other team other than the Patriots, of course, run a division. They are 26-3 and against the AFC West since 2015, including 9-1 and against the Broncos. And they beat them. Out, beat the, like, the Broncos have been competitive all year, except for when they play the Chiefs, and then they get just you know slapped around. Um, all right, let us move on to another team that got slapped around today. Seven and a half to go. They lead by 11, second and one at the 17. They run Drake right side. 15, 10, 5, fourth touchdown for Kenyon Drake and maybe puts this game away. 34 to 17, midway through the fourth quarter. The Browns could not take even one more flat shovel to the face. (laughs) (laughs) I might have that one cut just so Mark hears it. Dave Pash and Ron Wolfie. That was Wolfie with the call. Our old friend with like the dabbling frost in the breeze quote from. Oh yeah, that? yeah, with the moon, with the moon and the the Jesse the Body Ventura voice. Yeah, uh, Cardinals Radio Network with the call. Uh, yes, Kenyon Drake four touchdowns. Whoa, David Johnson's like what? Kyler Murray threw for two hundred nineteen yards and a score. Cardinals end a six-game losing streak by beating up on the Browns, thirty-eight twenty-four. All right, let's bring in the great muscular both in body frame and in the mind, most importantly. Nick Shook, who tracked this game for us from his Cleveland mansion. Shook, another disappointing effort by the Browns in a season full of them. I like how my character has added the, the mansion. Like, it, like you're Connors. slowly building myself out. <sighs> I just you assume, know, you know, it's much, I would imagine, cost of living is just a lot more affordable in, in Ohio compared to Southern California. 
and that paycheck that only went so far out here is sending you straight to the nice neighborhood on the right side of the tracks. Right from uh, from the second floor apartment uh, in the west side of L.A. to the mm. penthouse, right? Yeah, that's, Shaker Heights, something like that. Don't don't worry about the facts, Nick. You're just you know another character in Dan's play. <laughs> <laughs> the truth the truth is you know make your crazy. own story, Shook. Create your own story. Um, anyway, yeah. So the Browns, of course, Shook. You uh, you worked with the Browns earlier this season, and uh, as crazy as it sounds. With some of the way things had been shaking out in the AFC, if they would have won today, maybe there would be a little bit of buzz. Um, you know, as we're taping this, Sunday Night Football is going on. But, like, uh, some buzz about the Browns having a pulse, and as it turns out, that was all for naught because, again, did they just not show up here? Uh, pretty much. I mean, from the jump, the Cardinals, they looked like a much different team than it was like two weeks ago when they got destroyed by the Rams. You kind of saw signs of it last week when they lost to the Steelers in a close one, but they carried that momentum over this weekend, and they were definitely the more prepared team, I think. I mean, they came out and punched the Browns right in the mouth. The Wolfie uh, 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 explanation of the the flat shovel to the face, that was pretty much how they started the game and also how they ended the game. And the Browns were just kind of left to stagger and uh, try to regain their balance. And for a moment there, they did, but ultimately the Cardinals were too much, which is, hilarious to think about because they were three nine and one entering this game and just you know we made a big deal about the brown schedule and how it's supposed to be so easy down the back half Good and point. honestly except for that win over the dolphins they haven't really looked that convincing against the teams that they're supposed to beat and they didn't look like anything like it today so yeah a uh, tough day for the browns no doubt dorsey has such a interesting job ahead of him because I think we all looked at this roster entering the season and it looked like it was filled with top tier talent and it still kind of is, but I'm sure there are improvements that can be made. The offensive line, a chief among them, perhaps. Uh, but at the same time, like, do you make big changes in the offseason with this roster or do you make a change on the sideline? Like, what would be the move uh, for the Browns in the offseason? Because this has been obviously quite disappointing. Right. Well, I mean, you have some guys who are in their contract years who you might see leave. Uh, some guys that you consider stars are very valuable players who have not played up to that level. Demarius Randall being one of those guys who fits both of those uh, descriptions. And, and you also have to look at the team and wonder if a coaching change is going to help them or not. Or, you know, you kind of have to, I think you have to almost pull their players and kind of figure out what their opinion of their own mm. coach is, which might seem divisive or backhanded or whatever it would be, but at the same time, you have to understand fully the situation and the perspective of your players because you do have some guys who are proven. A guy like Jarvis Landry is proven. But a guy like Jarvis Landry also got into a little bit of a sideline spat with Freddie Kitchens today. Yeah, we know he'll come down in the vote. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's a matter of is does he have this team still or not? And I think that should influence your decision. I mm. think some of that decision at the end of the season. But they didn't play like he had them today. I mean, their defense uh, couldn't stop a nosebleed. Their offense tried its best, but even in key situations like that fourth or that third down failure to convert, you know, early in the fourth quarter, they, they settle for a field goal and then they miss the field goal and everything just kind of unravels from there. As soon as they missed that kick, it was like, man, this is where everything's just going to snowball. And sure enough, it did. And you, and you only really wonder, and I think this is going to be very influential on uh, the status of Kitchen's job moving forward, is, is it going to snowball into the final two weeks of the season or are they going to rebound and then, you know, maybe win one of those last two or get another upset over the Ravens or something like that, which I don't think is going to happen. But, you know, hypothetically, if that does happen, then that would reinforce his status as the head coach. But if it goes in the opposite direction, then I think it makes your decision uh, almost inevitable. Right. Rap Sheet reported Sunday morning that the Browns are standing behind 
Freddie Kitchens right now, and I think the next two weeks. You you said the phrase they look. The Cardinals look like they were more prepared, and right, that's happened with, a lot this year. Right, the team with Kenyon Drake's the one that had the running back with four rushing touchdowns, 137 yards on the ground. Kyler Murray adds another 56, a 28 yard run by, you know, Kirk. It, it's I I don't I wouldn't ask the players. I mean that sounds like, you know, asking a, the homeless guy on the street or whatever. It does not sound <laughs> like a Brown's way to do it. That's because Nick worked for the Browns. So he had that kind of uh, group thing. Pumped yeah, I mean, into it's Odo hands. Beckham getting 13 <laughs> targets for 66 yards against one of the worst pass defenses in the league. It's a mess. I, I don't need to see the next two weeks. What are the next two weeks going to tell me? The Browns are one of, if not the most consistent team in the entire NFL. They look the exact same every week, which is a little sloppy and a little mediocre. There's never a good game. They always Every Browns game is kind of the same. They're a 7-9 team. Like, they could be worse, but that's that's what they've been pretty much every single game. Tell them, Greg. Yeah, they've been, they've been consistently disappointing the entire season. I think that's ultimately what has to influence your decision. I mean, no, well, I mentioned the players, though. Pulling the players is at the end of the season just to, like, kind of get a feel for how they view the coach because this is a first-time coach. You know, it's like, does he connect with them? Or does Maybe it it's like a conversation with some team captains. I don't know who's a team captain that's, on that's the team. I don't know. Yeah. Listen, what, what we got I'm a lot really to get to uh, with the Browns in the offseason uh, and a lot to get yeah. to for the rest of the show. But, uh, Nick, uh, as always, you kill it. You speak with confidence and knowledge, and that's what we look for in our gunners uh, that we bring in. <laughs> Well, look, uh, I'm trying to cover the punt correctly, and I'm trying to fill out this mansion correctly, too, one step at a time. All right, buddy. uh, Get to that gym. (laughs) All right. Later, man. Let's move on. Second down and 16. Russ takes the shotgun snap. Has time. Looks. Fires. Got a man open. It's Lockett. He's in. Touchdown. Seahawks from 20 yards out. Luke Keekley looks to the near sideline and says, Coach, I can't cover everybody. And Lockett just ran to the corner of the end zone, and nobody was underneath him. Russ finds him, and the Seahawks score their third touchdown of the game. Steve Rabel, Seahawks Radio Network, with the call. Russell Wilson went 20 of 26 or 286, two touchdowns, including that connection to Tyler Lockett. Game note, looking healthy, looking like he's closer to Tyler Lockett, and they need that. And Chris Carson, now they defined number one guy, Rashad Penny, out of the picture with the ACL injury. He goes for 133 and two touchdowns. The undermanned Seahawks got it done. 30-24 over the Panthers in Charlotte. The under what? They were playing who? Undermanned Seahawks. And I'll tell you how they're undermanned. You know, I'll, I'll give you this. Cause you, the guy with two and a half sacks couldn't make the game? Is that what happened? Uh, you know, because I locked up the Seahawks and I got hit with some meter heat. And uh, that extended throughout the weekend on Twitter. And I almost unlocked them. But that, to me, that's even worse. It's like, stand by it. They passed my test. They passed the Vegas test. I stuck with them. And they played on Sunday without Jadavian Clowney. That's the two-and-a-half sack guy. Is he uh, maybe two and a half maybe he's got like three or something. I don't know. Ezekiel Ansa, Shaquille Griffin, Michael Kendrick. By the time this game was over, they lost Bobby Wagner and Quandre Diggs to ankle injuries. Uh, Wagner, it looks like he escaped serious injury, but it was a scary-looking injury. Diggs, Pete Carroll said after the game, uh, looks like he's going to miss time. So, I mean, this team, especially on defense, is beat up right now, and that that's not great timing-wise when you look at where the schedule is heading and as we inch closer to January. But, you know, luckily they still have the indestructible Russell Wilson behind center. He, he leads the Seahawks on touchdown drives on each of their first three drives. 
and uh, they kind of coasted to the finish line. I will say this. It was 30 to 10 with, you know, six minutes left. It was 30 to 10, and uh, I'll say this for the Panthers and another huge game for Christian McCaffrey. They scored two quick touchdowns, and it's a six-point game with less than four minutes to play, and they're facing the Seahawks a third and long with a chance uh, for the Panthers to take the field. And Wilson does what he does, which is step up, get a big completion to seal the game and keep Kyle Allen off the field. Yeah. Chris Wessling, you don't want Kyle Allen on the field with the game hanging in the balance. I'm going to lock it up. Well, Christian, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, for anybody who's wondering if, if this string where the Panthers are just bending over and just letting team, other teams do whatever they want to them. Hey, now. Rawr. <laughs> Thank you. He's still playing at an all-pro level, still looks phenomenal. And I heard you exclaim a few times today, Dan, how good Christian McCaffrey looks. Awesome. Just a fantastic season. He is. Here's, here's some numbers. Uh, 175 yards and a touchdown today. He's now over 2,000 yards for scrimmage. And if he can manage 186 receiving yards over the next two weeks, he'll join Roger Craig and Marshall Falk. One of the best stats uh, in the NFL, 1,000-1,000 club. He could be the third guy. So any, And I need to talk about shutting him down. Listen, these are football players. They play a football season. He's there's healthy. only 16 games. As you say, Wes, there's only 16 of these. And this guy, you can never take away the history from him uh, if he's uh, able to go 1,000-1,000. So, yes, while there's common sense, and Greg, I know you're going to come in with a contrarian angle on this one. No, I agree with you. But Okay. Um, but if he has a chance to do that, that's some special stuff. So I hope I hope he gets that chance, and I hope he does it. No, I agree. They should keep they should, you should keep your players on the field. There's people paying money. It's 16 games, please. It's a great sign for Lockett. I think more than anything, if you're a Seahawks fan, I, that they, I guessing, went into this game saying, "Let's get Tyler Lockett going. This is too important." And they throw to him nine times. He has eight for 120. That's huge. Josh Gordon finally makes a big play as a receiver. It's good to see. I mean, he has really not produced much for the Seahawks. Not uh, not as productive as a, a quarterback where he was intercepted on his only throw. <laughs> and uh, Greg, as the playoff calculator, the Seahawks now 11-3. and The Niners 11-3, and but the Seahawks have the head-to-head win. Are the Seahawks currently the number one seed? They are, and, and the key is they win out and they do get the one seed. So that is that is the upshot of everything today for them. The way you phrase that, they they do have to win out. They have it's to win out. It's not just going to be given to them. No, they're not. Okay. I mean, you got the Packers in the mix now, too. You got the Vikings, technically. See, the Seahawks finish home Cardinals and then home Niners. Interesting. All right, let's move on. What a what a what a heroic lock! Takes the snap, gets protected, throws a pass toward the end zone, into the caught ball, touchdown! Today, Brashad Perriman's got the hat trick. Buccaneers get a touchdown three today by Brashad Perriman, and with that catch, he goes over a hundred yards for the first time in his career. How about that for a brand spanking new Buccaneer this year? <laughs> Gene Dakaroff, Dakaroff, Bucks Radio Network. Jameis Winston's doing the damn thing. In December, the quarterback. Listen to this stat, Wes. You're a real history buff. Became the first player in NFL history to throw for 450 yards in consecutive games. Yes. Leading the Tampa Bay Bucks to a 38-17 win over the Lions. The moribund Detroit Lions. Uh, four touchdowns, one pick for Winston. Wes, are the Bucks really going to walk away from this marriage? Should they? Where are we at? Where are you at? Well, if you don't walk away, you're going to get the same results next year with this quarterback. But, you know, that's... What are these results? I can't, I can't make sense on any of this now. Heads He'll throw tails. you into and out of games, and you'll end up with a 500 
record or thereabouts. Uh, and this game is exactly what you would expect. I missed the first quarter because I had to drive home and get my laptop, which I forgot. Yeah, that was that was a bummer. I came back to a report that Jameis Winston threw another interception on the opening drive, which now makes five games this year, which he's done that, and he is amazingly 4-1 and one in those games. Well, that, yeah, it gets him in the right mindset of like, all right, let's go. He also had 200 yards by the end of the first quarter in this game. I saw Mike Sando of The Athletic tweeted that he could not find another quarterback in the database that had more passing yards through 23 minutes of a game than Jameis Winston did today. At one at that point in the game, it was mid-second quarter. The Bucks had 315 yards and the Lions had two. Here's my thing. Anyone capable of making the throws that he makes – is is good at quarterbacking. And I know then, yeah, okay, yeah, turning the ball over is massive and it's hurting his team win, you know, lose the game. And maybe that's, maybe that's forever. But a lot of it is luck and ha- like maybe, maybe you can improve this. He's 25 years old and he's going to be maybe leading the leading scoring team in the NFL by the time let we're me, done. And let me piggyback off that, Wes, and then you can respond. <laughs> is it so crazy that one of these years – and we always talk about the difference between eight and eight, ten and six. Uh, is it, it's very slim, razor razor thin. That one of these years they end up ten and six, and Winston gets hot in January. Is it so crazy to imagine <laughs> a scenario where Jameis Winston gets his way into the playoffs and then starts doing crazy things? Well, let me a- answer these. And two- if if the answer is yes, Wes, that's why you got to keep him in the building if you believe he has that. Potential, because the whole thing's about winning a Super Bowl. Is is that in his bones, somewhere tucked in his DNA? Are we seeing that peeking out, or is this all just lipstick on a pig? What we've been seeing this month. I'll answer those questions separately because okay. they are two so- totally separate things. Okay. It's not crazy at all. We've seen all kinds of quarterbacks get hot, from Joe Flacco to Eli Manning. Sure. So of course Jameis Winston could do that. We've seen Jameis Winston get hot for stretches, but for Greg to say this is good quarterbacking, no, it's not. It's, it's, he just does a lot of high-level quarterback stuff. It's that's, good passing. It's yeah. not good quarterbacking. That's fair. He's a good passer who makes bad decisions and has a has a career record of twenty-seven and forty. If he was, if it was good quarterbacking, his his record would be passing much is an important part of quarterbacking, though. Of course, it is. It is great. I get it, what you're saying. I I hear you. It, it's just tricky because these throws. It, it it also shows what I think people liked out of him coming out of school, which a lot of times it shows kind of a next level mental processing, which is why the whole turnover thing is confusing. Because a lot of the things he does, he reads defense and he and he kind of thinks through on his good plays really well for a, a relatively young quarterback. I know he's been in the league five years, but he he's twenty five has... years old. It's it's not like he's just kind of a big arm that's getting out there and throwing it. Like he does things that gets quarterback gurus like Arians excited. It's also totally ignoring the fact that he's frenetic most of the time. Yeah. He's not under control a lot of the time, and that's why he makes mistakes. Also, it should be noted in his defense, no Mike Evans today when he goes back-to-back 450 yards, and for the mm. second half, right. no, no Chris Godwin who injured his There's no game. way Arians is going to let him go. That's how I feel, because I think he's going to look at the stats at the end of the year, and the Bucks are going to be second or first in points and yards, and he's going to be just like... I don't want to go to the unknown. He, the siren call. He, he won't be able to ignore it. Two more things about this game. Shaq Barrett. What a year. Ties Warren Sapp's sack record for the franchise. And Bruce Arians said half. after the game, this impending free agent is going nowhere. So they, they will either franchise tag him or sign him, but he's not going anywhere. And David Blau 
made a couple of throws to the point where they got within a touchdown, and they were kind of some – at least the the Amendola one was a great catch, and then the other one was kind of busted coverage. But he threw the game away. So a mixed bag for Mark Sessler, who – of course, no, no, Jack. no. This was just an all-around bad game. Those the are the only, Those are the only two plays for the Lions all game. David Blau then threw the game away with a pick six and then another interception, and then that play got called back, so he threw another interception after that. Best-case scenario, Matt Patricia is someone's defensive coordinator next year. Is that fair? Well, this was not a fair fight. The Lions are playing with second and third stringers at how many positions? I don't but know, still, five, ten? Does he get a third year? I don't know. Why do you bring him back? Yeah. I mean, they were 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. They were. They are now 310 and one. All right, let's move on. Barkley to the right of Manning in a shotgun set. Manning on a play fake. Looks right, throws right, passes. Caught by Tate. Makes a man miss to the 20. 15. He's to the 5. Backs into the end zone for a touchdown. 51 yards, Manning to Tate. Haven't heard much from Bob Papa this year on the podcast WFAN in New York. It looks it looked like the end of the Eli era at the Meadowlands. Let's hope it is because 36-20, uh, the win over the Dolphins on Sunday was a nice way to go out for the old quarterback. Uh, Giants fans loyal enough to attend a matchup between the Giants and Dolphins gave their two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP a standing ovation as he walked off the field. He went over 300 yards with two touchdowns and, yes, three interceptions. And the New York Giants snap a franchise record-tying nine-game losing streak. And I uh, don't know what else you really need to know about this game. Uh, I don't even know if you need to know that. But I'll tell you that, uh, yes, Eli did some Eli things. And it was really um, it was a nice little moment at the end of the game in the tunnel as he left the field. Um, his family was there, and he was taking pictures with his daughter and his children and um this certainly felt like a good way for it to end i don't even know why you would at this point maybe uh, daniel jones comes back next year next week i don't know what his injury situation is but why even run eli out there again just go out with the win at home and <laughs> well uh, if they, go secure that what, they're gonna play pick. you know r- who is their third is it alex right? tanny yeah, yes it, that's no. why that's what i'm saying you you just kind of end it here you put in alex tanny trying to win or games. daniel jones do not win I don't games know why. go okay. get chase young and fly well they maybe shouldn't try to win games because it it's going to change with the strength of schedule and who knows what happens over the next couple games, weeks. But Giants. the Dolphins did pass them, whereas the Dolphins moved up a spot in the draft. They so are, now they're they're at now, two? They would now be at three. Three. And I believe the Redskins mm. are at two. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, the the Dolphins have – by the way, they – I do think, by the way, the kids being in the – just the way the last two weeks have played out and the kids in the tunnel, he's retiring. It seems – It just feels – Yeah. It just feel, he also feels like a guy that doesn't want to go to another place or be anyone's backup. So in the 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 fact that the kids were there last, you know, they got the wife's there last week, the kids in the tunnel, they're as they should. Uh, I'm I'm happy. I don't know. A nice this, little final moment. I don't know if this is accurate. It's tankathon.com, but it has the Giants at number two with the strength of schedule advantage over the Dolphins and Redskins fellow three and eleven teams. Sounds like a reputable website. <laughs> They seem very serious about it. They have a great layout of their website. No, they're good. Like uh, and one one note on the Dolphins that there's just so much work that needs to be done for this team. And everyone's, you know, everyone's talking about the quarterback and going and getting that guy and finding the guy. Uh, but they have the worst running game in the league. They have an offensive line that is completely needs a makeover. And when your leading rusher in 2019 is Ryan Fitzpatrick, that Ryan Ooh. Fitzpatrick, the Harvard guy, the beard guy. Like 37 years old. The guy with all the kids. 
Oh my God, you have a lot of mm. work to do, and it's not just finding a quarterback. Got to start somewhere. Though. They set a fascinating to me NFL record today. More players have suited up for the Dolphins than any team in NFL history. Whoa. And we got two weeks left to go. I wonder if they've also made the most waiver claims in NFL history. It's kind of the way to do it. Just try all the all these guys out in, in your tanking season. They still got the Bengals. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, if you're not going to try before the season starts, that's the way to do it. <laughs> all right, let's move on. You got two seconds left to play. Get it right, but you already know what it's going to be. It's going to be a Hail Mary. Carr steps up, fires the Hail Mary high up into the air, right side of the end zone, jump ball up in the air, incomplete. And in the final act, the Raiders have lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. And the Oakland Raiders are no more. Oh, how deflating. Brent Musburger and Lincoln Kennedy with the call KCBS. Gardner Minshew threw two touchdown passes to Chris Conley in the final 515. And the Jacks spoil that final scheduled game at Oakland Coliseum, a 20-16 win. This is not how NFL football in Oakland was supposed to end. Damn, I wish we had some boots on the ground for this game. Oh, wait. Joining us now via the telephone line is the great Mark Sessler, who was there to take it all in. First of all, Mark, are you safe? I am safe at the moment, but I'm going to be honest with you because, you know, we've, we've exited Super Bowls before where uh, this is a little bit of a different situation here outside of the, the Coliseum. I'm on some sort of a concourse where people are flowing towards uh, a tunnel that leads to a BART station. And I've literally been told by two security people, get out of here soon or you may suffer the consequences. So uh, <laughs> wow. at this point, safe, we will TBD on where I will be in an hour from now. Wait, what? I mean, what is the vibe there? Obviously, we, we heard some things about some fighting on the field. It wasn't not a chaotic scene, right? Like what's happening once the CBS no, cameras go away uh, at the Coliseum? It's fine. I'm, I'm just, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, so this is an element I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's totally good. It, I, I would say this because I think that, you know, and I tweeted out some of the stuff that happened after the game, uh, in, it, it was a 5% of the fans acting up and a huge chunk of them uh, being fine. I think, the, I think the fact that it devolved into the loss that it did, where at halftime I did a, a phoner with Sky Sports, and I, I'm 0-186 on predictions on Sky Sports this year, but I told them that if the Sessler family owned a house versus renting, that I would bet without any questions or any doubt that the Raiders were going to take that game because they, <laughs> they just rode that feverish emotion in the first half. And then, you know, I was wandering around, so I didn't, I, I'm not Sam Monson from TFF on this particular bout, but uh, I, I cannot believe the way that it ended. I, I think the fans were extremely deflated and disappointed, and it led some of the mess at the end, which was minor. I mean, and yeah, it's like bad job by the Raiders who've had a season that had some nice highs, but you're up 16 to three. You're against the Jaguars team that has been historically awful over the last five weeks. That's a game that you got to you just got to close it out. You got to close it out for your fans that who have been as loyal as any fans in football uh, right to the very end. So it is just it stinks the way it went out. And one big play, Mark, I, I'm not sure what your vantage point was uh, on the field, but a big play in this game. Uh, Derek Carr slides for the first down with a 205 to play, even signals with a O like hand gesture to the crowd in Oakland. He begins celebrating a victory. They rule that he slid out of bounds 
Jones. After the game, he says, that was one of the most shocking moments of my life. Uh, don't want to say much more. I'll keep my money in my pocket because what happens after that? They go three and out, miss a field goal. And drop, then, drop a third down throw, which they could have run it there. Drop the third down throw, miss a field goal, penalty. They get moved in five yards, misses again, and then they allow Gardner Minshew, and this is a cruel twist of irony for you, Mr. Sessler, to march the Jags down the field to win the game. Ah, it shouldn't have ended this way. No, you know, and it was the wrong day for magic from Mr. Minshew. And I, at that point, because my, my goal was to get on the field uh, ASAP, so I was actually watching that series of plays, which were the absolute key moments in the game, with two uh, very gruff elderly security men that would not allow me to essentially move beyond from point A to B, and I had to wait until the time to take down. And, it, and we kind of were joking by the end that the final two minutes of that game, because of the way it unfolded, took like another 35 minutes plus i thought i timed it well and it's like but it was the it was the absolute picture of collapse and i i just think that the stadium was completely caught off guard there were people today and for good reason that were they were watching the game but they were also i I just waltzed around the place out celebrating hugging drinking beers with each other out on the concourses and i think they just thought this thing was in the bag and i and for good reason and if the way it ended, it, it is could not have been a more sour note to what other otherwise felt like a huge celebration. What was the celebration and kind of your pregame experience and and everything like the the rest of the day? And did you drink well, any I, of those beers? I, I well, no, because I am a raging professional and I really <laughs> wanted to. Uh, but I, also, I I I was like, you know what? What am I doing? Not eating meat products because I it was like. <laughs> seen some of the most insanely grilled uh, foodstuffs that you'll ever imagine. And just the people, you know, even this place gets a wrap for if you show up in a Chiefs jersey, you will not leave alive. And Jaguars fans, which were about, you know, 2% of the crowd, were floating around, and they were treated fine. And I just think today really was uh, an example for me of how great this fan base is. And, you know, talking to a bunch of them for this piece I'm working on, most of them are like, yes, of course we would never abandon them. This isn't the, you know, the Colts leaving in the middle of the night or the Browns uh, turning into the Ravens out of nowhere, ridiculously. And not it's not. It's off. like they're, they're going to move and, 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 and travel and go to Vegas, and they kind of fit that city. But this crew here, the people that live in Oakland, I think there is no doubt um, an aura of heartbreak to it. And especially at the end of the game, watching people here today kind of like give – like low kisses to the stadium as they were leaving and, you know, just not wanting to go. They just didn't want to go. They're out here drinking canned beers and, uh, you know, the cops at this point are, have had enough, but it's like they, they don't want to leave and I don't blame them. It's, so I'm honestly very, I feel lucky to have been here and seen it because it's a huge concept to even imagine the Raiders leaving California. I don't care if you're flipping between NorCal and Southern California, but to leave entirely is it's kind of shocking on an NFL level. You touched on the Browns leaving for Baltimore, and you endured that as a fan. I think we've all been kind of struck by the contrast between, well, those of us old enough to remember it, the contrast between that season in Cleveland and what the love fest that's going on in Oakland this year. Do you have any thoughts on that, or did you personally encounter any Raiders fans who had vitriol for their team before the game or during the game? I think the vitriol that I that I caught wind of was towards, uh, you know, and it's not surprising, I guess, towards Mark Davis, because I think they felt like the Al Davis uh, living in well would never have done this, would never have made this move, that he, you know, he's a guy that... I mean, he already moved to L.A. 
<laughs> well, I mean, so he, he moved to L.A. and back, but when they, when they decided that they could make more money, uh, I was told by a few Raiders people that, you know, Al Davis basically was told he could have stayed in L.A. and made much more profit, and he decided not to. And so obviously that was a bumpy ride, but I think that the vitriol is pretty low. I, I think it's disappointment, sadness, and... But I think I, this is a fan base that's going to – it's the right fan base to do this, even though it doesn't feel right. Like, they're going to travel. Like I, I, there's no doubt the people that I spent time with today, they feel like they'd fit in a weekend in, in Vegas mm. without too much trouble. Right, but I, the, the way today played out, it just is a reminder you can't script sports. And, yeah. and that fans, the reality is you can give as much as you want to the experience, and that's what you're going to get out of it because you might not get anything back. You might just get – you might get misery on a day like this back if, if you're putting all your hopes on the result. Like I thought I, like leaving a city is pretty much the worst thing uh, a sports franchise can do. But I was wrong. Losing a 16-3 to lead to the Jaguars on the day you're leaving the city when John Gruden didn't go for it on fourth and one at the 49, just gutless play calling, decides to punt. When they have 12 men on the field on another fourth and one for the Jaguars, just terribly poorly coached, and they botched the end of the situation. Like, this has been the worst franchise in terms of wins-losses in the last 18 years. They have one winning season, and the fact that these fans are showing up in mass like this after that 18 season run can you there aren't many cities that would do that and all they get is a, is a kick in the in the you know what on the way out the Raiders yep, had a 102 and 5 record at the Oakland Coliseum when leading by 10 plus points after three quarters oof. before losing on Sunday Mark any final thoughts well I'll say this Greg uh that was well said by Greg and I I did encounter a number of Raiders fans here who just wanted to say that Greg's Situational football awareness is something that uh, they are that they embrace, they enjoy, and, and when they make that move to Vegas, that will still be something that they care about. Um, no, but I will say this as a final thing: that uh, it's sad. I'm kind of walking out. I'm, I'm about to get into this tunnel. I don't know where it goes. It goes into total darkness. I see a hillside. I I, I don't I don't I, I don't have never really felt this way at a live game where there's just this sort of uh, weird sadness mixed with kind of like losing a family member situation and. I don't know. It's obviously not putting it into words very well, but it's, it's, it's kind of that day. I don't think anyone here, because of, as Greg mentioned, the final result, you can't just kind of kiss it goodbye as this beautiful thing. It's kind of tinged with a little bit of darkness, and I think that's what the move uh, feels like, too. Step in any raw sewage? Not yet, but, I mean, the night is young. <laughs> All right, so. great. <laughs> Mark, uh, it's good to hear you are in fine spirits. Uh, and alive, please head back down the coast now and rejoin us for the next edition of the Around the NFL podcast. I will see you Tuesday. All right, buddy. Let's now move to Sunday Night Football. 16 seconds left. Here's the snap. Hodges looks, looks, runs to his left, directing traffic, fires it into the end zone. It is picked off. It is intercepted. It is picked up by the Bills. That should do it. Levi Wallace comes up with a pick. His teammates surround him down in the end zone. Interception for the Bills with six seconds left. Wallace comes up with a pick. The Bills are going to the postseason. John Murphy with the call for the Bills Radio Network. Oh, that Buffalo defense. Four interceptions of Devlin Duck Hodges. Two for the great Tredavious White and Levi Wallace following a Jordan, Jordan Poyer pick in the fourth quarter and successive drives that close it out 17-10. The Bills are 10-4, and four and they're going to the dance for the second time in 20 years. 
It'll be the second time in three years? That's yes. two. Depending on how you want to look at it. There's two ways to look at it. Sean McDermott, nice job. Man, six and one the Bills are on the road this year, and they um, quiet a Steelers team that really you know entered this action, West looking like uh, one of the hottest teams in football. But there was always that question, Wes. Duck Hodges in a big spot against this type of defense. Could it go badly? It went very badly. Well, I think when we looked at this game, it's no surprise how it played out. We didn't trust either quarterback against either of these defenses. And we saw the Steelers' limitations in the passing game. I know their fans don't want to hear this, but it's already been a successful season for Pittsburgh. Being in control of the number six seed with a four-string undrafted rookie at quarterback and a slew of injuries at the skill positions on offense, they've gone about as far as a quarterback like Duck Hodges can take them. Well, they have two big games coming up, and if they win those two games... Uh, and we'll see if the Ravens play their starters in Week 17. They're going to the playoffs, so I, I don't think they'll look at this as some lost cause, but credit needs to go to the Bills for what I think was their best moment since 2007. I mean, since, I don't know, is this their biggest win in 20 years? It's because first- making the playoffs because Andy Dalton beats you, uh, beats an opponent for you, and you sneak in, and that's fun, and you got the monkey off your back. But this is Sunday night football. This is earning oh, your way definitely in. definitely a better moment. This is 10-4, and four, and it's doing it the kind of Sean McDermott way with a real team that I don't think um, has lucked its way into 10-4. and four. The schedule's obviously helped, but tonight they had the better running game, and they had the better defense. I mean, their defense made bigger plays. They had nine tackles for loss, whereas I think the Steelers had five. They had more quarterback hits. They had the interceptions. They were the big play defense. I think I I think I predicted on Thursday's show this game would end 17-13. And like we were saying, this is this was how it was going to be. And it was going to come down to, I thought, who was the quarterback that kind of killed their team. And uh, while no one is going to be throwing bouquets at the feet of Josh Allen, you will give him credit for making the big throw. Tyler Croft was targeted once in this game, and it came in a huge spot on third down. It was a uh, 10-10 game, and the Bills, their previous possession, a scoring chance, they had first and goal and didn't even let Allen throw the ball. They ran the ball once. They attempted a trick play with Frank Gore that didn't work, leading to another loss on a run. Then ran it on third and goal for nothing, a loss of yards, settled for the field goal, and it made you think, God, they're never going to let Josh Allen try to win a game in this big stage. But they did let him run that play, and credit to the Bills because it paid off. Allen hits Croft uh, in the right side of the end zone, and that was the winning score. That was an all passing drive essentially on a day where they leaned on the run that touchdown drive was on Allen's arm and he hit a deep play down the field to John Brown and they've barely hit those plays this year but they've had a couple over the last two weeks Josh Allen also had a rushing touchdown in this game set up by an incredible Devin Singletary run And, and to me that that's the story here they did have more juice I mean Singletary although he had fumbles in this game he had more juice than any Pittsburgh running back. And Josh Allen, even if it wasn't perfect, certainly had a lot more juice than Duck Hodges. Tredavious White is the all-pro cornerback opposite Stephon Gilmore on my list. Smokey Brown already has a career high in receiving yards this year. He's been a great signing. And Jordan Phillips, who the Bills, I believe, picked up all the waivers from the Dolphins last af- year, yeah. after a disciplinary measure. Uh, is up to nine and a half sacks on the year for a defensive tackle. We should give Brian Dable some love. I mean, they he's their offensive coordinator for the Bills, and he, they throw a lot of looks at you. And they on both their touchdown drives, they did a lot of 
it, creative things formationally. They went for a fourth and six uh, early in the game and converted it, with, which set up some points. So they were aggressive in spot. He's done a good job just kind of keeping defenses off balance, which, which is what a, a weird offense, but it, effective enough. The Bills don't blink. They haven't always won these games against the upper teams in the AFC. In fact, we going into this game, we talked about it. It was like, go get that big win. And I, I count this one as a big win, beating the 8-5 and five Steelers. At, in their building in prime time in front of Al, Chris, and Michelle. But I also, I'll say this, one other takeaway from the game. It's a La Ravio Magnifico. Um, and you don't write off Duck Hodges off this game. But I feel like this gave us the ceiling of the Steelers that their defense and, you know, there's certain plays that maybe the game goes a different way. T.J. Watt with that punch-out attempt, if he hits Josh Allen's ball instead of, like, his thigh or whatever he ended up well, connecting. They f- yeah, they fumbled on the 10 y- They fumbled inside the 10-yard line to close the first right. half. That was massive. I mean, they maybe in a, in a, if the Steelers go on to make the playoffs, they can win some games just because of the defense and, and Hodges and company making a couple plays. But to me, I feel like this is kind of how their season will eventually end as well. Mm. where they'll be in a close game and they'll need their team to make a big play on offense and it's just not going to be there for them. It felt hopeless in those last two possessions because Hodges just, quite frankly, seemed a little in over his head. Well, I think that even the Steelers would acknowledge that Duck Hodges' ceiling in the future is probably a backup quarterback. I mean, he just doesn't have the physical talent. You saw in that last throw that was intercepted, he can't throw against the grain moving to his left and still have enough arm strength to get the ball in a position where his receiver can make a play on it. And it sets up on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, rather, Bills, Patriots. Quite a triple header on NFL Network, not just being a company, man. I they, can't wait. They lucked out. They really did. Bucks Texans early is a meaningful game versus a hot hot team versus Texans. Then you got the Bills, Patriots in the afternoon. You have the Rams, 49ers, which matters at night. But the Bills, That's a great it's, match. They really lucked out. With, those are three straight. of the best games uh, of the week. And the Pats game is so interesting because this Patriots offense against the Bills, we, we'll get into it during the week. I just wanted to point out one tiebreaker um, oddity, though, which takes not a, not a lot of juice, but it does change it. Is that let's hear it? The, calculator time. The Patriots are going to win the AFC East if they beat the Dolphins in Week 17. Ugh. No matter what happens next week against the Bills, because mm. why does it always work out this common way opponents tiebreak? So the Bills could win that game and still not get it, but it's a still a huge game. You're saying the Bills could beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. They could go to Foxborough and beat the Bills next week. Patriots, yeah. Uh, the Patriots next week. They can, in Week 17, close out with another win against 12 the Jets. 12-4. Go 12-4 and four and not be the AFC's champion? That is possible. And they then could. I told Greg, like, that's so frustrating. I feel like this always works out with the tiebreakers and the Patriots. And then Greg goes, ah, not in 2002 it didn't. It's like, <laughs> what? 17 years ago. Yeah. I was in college, Greg. Yeah, forty in April. Greg, I'll give you a lollipop. That's your example. I'll give you a That's lollipop true. if you can name the head coach and the quarterback the last time the Bills had a ten-win season. Uh, Wade Phillips nailed it, and uh, Frank Reich. Doug Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie. Ninety-eight. I don't know why I'm Bills. seeing Frank Reich. Doug Flutie, who is now fifty-seven years old, was the quarterback <laughs> the last time the Bills had a ten-win season. Wow. So congratulations to our buddy Zach. Behind the glass. Greg, yes. what's his last name? Zach, Zach Saley, of course. Saley. And Sexy Saley. Big, big Saley. The biggest Bills fan we know, Patrick, Patrick Crawley. Crawley, yes. Member of, of the Shield Champion Softball Squad, our good buddy. Congratulations. Um, congratulations to you guys. You're you're playing in the dance. You're you're going dancing. And, and Greg, any other playoff tabulations before we sign off that 
people might want to know as we take a look at the playoff picture. You can check it out, by the way, at NFL.com slash playoff picture, which gives a nice uh, snapshot of where we're at. Well, the Steelers can still get in with two more wins, but that loss certainly should give a little bounce to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, helps their chances. And... Uh, the Chiefs trying to get that bye. Even if the, if the Bills did beat the Patriots, that would open up the bye, uh, which to me is absolutely vital for both of those teams, Chiefs and Patriots. What about the bottom of the AFC? Now that the Steelers are 8-6, and six, they're at Jets and then at Ravens. you got to win that game against the Jets. Take take any drama out of the proceedings. If they somehow lost next week and fall to 8-7, and seven, that opens the door up. It does. Uh, for, damn, even the Browns are not eliminated, right? If, if they somehow... Crumble, but we're not going to talk about that. We're getting too crazy with the calculator. The Bills, Browns aren't eliminated? I think the Browns were eliminated tonight. Are they done? I think they were out with the Steelers' loss, yes. Okay, well, that's good. So you have the so it's the Steelers and the second-place team in the AFC South in the wild card. The Bills claiming that. It would be either the Bills or the Patriots, most likely the Bills in the five seed, and then either Steelers or Titans slash Texans. In the six, and then in the, the, the Browns NFC. are out, barring a tie. So I knew there was okay. some confusion, but they're essentially out. Yeah. And then in the NFC, we got the Seahawks now as the number one seed. Uh, the Packers still locked in at number two, uh, but the Vikings are the interesting team here. They are ten and four, and they have the Packers up next on the schedule. They need to though lose both games, and the Rams need to win both their games. Uh, otherwise, the Vikings will make the playoffs, as will be the second place team in the NFC West, either the 49ers or the Seahawks. I think it, the NFCs it's almost simple to explain, which is that the Cowboys Eagles for that one spot and the other five seeds are all up for grabs. You know, one through five is open. So yes, you can figure out the different routes to it, but Seahawks, Packers, Vikings, 49ers, Saints, I know the Vikings haven't clinched yet, but they're almost definitely in. Those five seeds, could you shake them up and do it a lot of different ways. If I'm a Saints fan, I'm feeling a little better that maybe they can sneak into that bye. I'm going to test your calculator right now, Greg. Yeah. Can the Vikings uh, are can both things be true? Can the Vikings miss the playoffs entirely? Can they win the one seed? Well, they certainly can miss the yes, playoffs know the entirely. Miss. Can they get the one seed still? Can they finish twelve and four and get that one seed? The calculator's cramming. It's cranking. I don't have it's that. It's smoking. I don't have that right now. Who has the tiebreak right. in those scenarios between them and like the seat? Mm. Ouch. Tough questions by the old It was Deuce a tough one. It was a tough one. <laughs> I wanted to see how much of a handle he had. It's not all softballs here. <laughs> Greg's head just exploded. So now it's a, now it's a two-hander. Me and Wes closing things out. <laughs> ah! <laughs> all right. There you go. It's going to be fun. And we have two Sundays left in the regular season. And you know we'll be here. And I'm looking forward to that triple header. Uh, on Saturday. I can sniff the playoffs from oh, here. We're almost here. Oh, yeah. Keith and Deb are coming into town on Wednesday, and, you know, Tito's is coming out to watch some football on Saturday. Oh, yeah. You know, Tito doesn't get to come out anymore and play. And Tito and his friend Soda with a squeeze of Mr. Lemon. It's hard being a daddy. Yeah, yeah we're here cranking, getting the paycheck. Yeah. Not on Saturday. Saturday's going to be a fun day. That'll be fun. With the old man. All right. I'm happy to watch a Patriots game without you, Chucklehead. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go. This is Dan Hansis signing off for The Quiet Storm in Absentia. Uh, The mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, Ryan, Tara, Zach, on top of the world. Till Tuesday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 